Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, he uh, hails from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he's going to be joining us momentarily. And maybe I can work in the Bill Burr line at the Philly Rant, one of the greatest pieces of comedic genius you'll ever hear. I got to do this, though, because I got a guy keeping me honest on the show, and this is what it's all about. And Rosito. Out of, uh, he's in Nelson, British Columbia, says, Bob, regarding Dylan Holloway, I remembered uh, you compared Holloway to Marty Reisner when he was drafted. I did. Marty Reisner went 14th. Dylan Holloway went 14th. Marty Reisner was a six foot one left shot. Dylan Holloway is a six foot one left shot. Marty Reisner had put up exceptional numbers at BC. Holloway, a little bit underwhelming his first year, to be frank with you, at Wisco. Uh, Andresito adds, looks like he should have a bit more of a ceiling than Reasoner. Just keeping you honest, Bob. Best show on radio and adding Frank Saravalli just enhanced it. Great pickup. That one comes to us from Andresito. Yes. Uh, every Tuesday on Oilers Now, Frank Saravalli will be joining us. He is our Oilers Now headliner today for Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. I don't know if it's the Oilers Now dream team, but our off-season addition, I, I compare him a bit to like the Oilers adding Zach Hyman. You know, he's a grinder. He's in it all the time. Somewhat meteoric rise. Uh, he looks older than he really is, but without further ado, we welcome back to the show, Frank Cervalli. How you doing, Frank? What an intro that is. I, I, I would be thrilled with the Zach Hyman archetype. I like the comparison. Well, I mean, he, he has a relentless work ethic, and uh, so do you. From Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravelli. It's it's been an interesting. I mean, maybe you can explain to the listeners because you're not like, are you for, you're not forty yet, are you? No, I'm thirty four. You're thirty four. So but t- I look like I'm fifty. Is the problem? Yeah. Well, and you know what? If I, I, I like, I'm I'm going over to Celebrity to get the hair color tomorrow because I I am carrying a few extra pounds. But as long as the hair is dark, I can still pull off sort of late forties, early fifties. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, see, I refuse to go the, the hair color route. Like, I just am what I am. You are what you are. There you have it. Uh, tell us, I mean, it's an interesting story because you, you're 34. So tell us how, you know, you've ascended this quickly uh, to your place as one of the biggest insiders in the National Hockey League. Where'd you, where'd you go to school? Where'd you get your start in ter- terms of work in the business? 
I went to Penn State. I started covering the Flyers for the Philadelphia Daily News. Did that for seven seasons and then was at PSN for six and worked under the tutelage of some of the best in the business and really learned from them um, how to do this and um, decided to leave TSN last year and, and uh, link up with Daily Faceoff. And it's been an unbelievable journey to try and build something. And uh, we've got a lot of new things launching this year and excited to, to get underway in year two at Daily Faceoff. All right. Well, at any time uh, that you guys have something new that you want to sit there and cross-promote, feel uh, absolutely, uh, you know, uh, with full knowledge that we're all game for that. Uh, so let's get to it. Uh, can you make too much of a rookie tournament at times? I mean, this show is called Oilers Now. Uh, by the way, uh, you've been to Edmonton multiple times. We should explain that. And, in fact, uh, uh, one year, you made a, a wager with a buddy of mine, uh, Dan Baker, who uh, uh, bears a striking resemblance to uh, Dalton, the character uh, in Roadhouse that Patrick Swayze played, uh, about uh, the Oilers not making the playoffs back in 16-17. You returned to Edmonton in 17 after Rogers Place opened in 16 and predicted the Oilers to win the Cup. Please tell me you did not predict Edmonton to win the Stanley Cup this year, Frank. I haven't picked my team yet, but I'm kind of nervous, and I'm definitely not going to be picking a Canadian team. Last year, I'm embarrassed to admit this as well, the team that I picked did not make the playoffs in the Winnipeg Jets. So uh, not exactly a good track record. Like You actually have to get in in order to win, and it kind of just goes to show you how foolish the idea of picking a Stanley Cup winner in September is. Like It would have been easy to say Colorado, and I just refuse to pick the chalk. I, I don't, I, it doesn't make any sense. It's not fun. It's not interesting. Try and do something a little bit different. And I tend to end up reaching a bit and, and that's what happens. All right. Uh, are the Oilers, they may not be the first choice, but are they, in your opinion, a legitimate contender to win the Stanley Cup? Of course they are. When you watch what Connor McDavid did in the playoffs and Leon Dreisaitl, on one leg for most of it for Dreisaitl. Um, when you watch that magic and you see the buy-in that they got from the rest of the team, uh, you know, anytime you have that type of, you know, arsenal, you're going to be in contention. And so, you know, last year was a significant step for the Oilers. This year, there are some question marks in terms of how this group is going to come together. I think a lot of people are curious about Jack Campbell, can he get to the level that he was at last year for a chunk of it? And, and can he miss out on, on the part where he really struggled for a period of time? Um, it, you know, I know a lot of people were concerned about the Duncan Keith acquisition, but I think he really proved himself in the playoffs in terms of why he was added to the team. You know, is Can someone step up on the back end to help eat some of those minutes? Do you have the bodies? And what kind of step forward will you get from someone like an Evan Bouchard and some of these other young guys that are in camp that are trying to fight for jobs. Um, there's, there's a lot to figure out between now and, and puck drop uh, in mid October. But this team is certainly in that conversation. We're joined by Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff. He joins us every Tuesday here on Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer with you. Uh, Frank, Yes, the Pugliarvi. His name was mentioned often during the course of the offseason. There is a uh, a strong and vocal 
uh, group, some of which is analytics-driven, that vehemently believe that Pugliarvi is a top six forward all day. I think at this stage he's a middle six forward. Uh, that said, how much of a, was there a market for him out there, do you think? Well, I think there was a market. It just wasn't at the price that the Oilers were comfortable in terms of it being paid. Um, the Oilers were looking for something pretty specific, and I think as things went on, their their ask and their needs changed a little bit. Like at first, they were looking for a roster player and didn't want a pick back in, in exchange for Pugliarvi, and then at a certain point, they were saying, okay, we'll take the pick. But it never got to the spot where they really were comfortable and wanted to pull the trigger um and of course you know he was in a spot where um you know he needed a new deal which he finally got on july 26th um and now moving forward i would say given some of the injuries we're already starting to see pop up given the nils lundquist trade from new york to dallas uh, that happened on Monday night in exchange for a first-round pick, I wouldn't totally close the door on the idea of the Edmonton Oilers moving on from Yesipoli-Yarby between now and, and opening night of the regular season. I, I think in some ways um, the player is open to that as well, um, and the team has certainly been trying. There's no secret. Um, it's just about finding the right dance partner, and to this point, that hasn't happened, but it doesn't mean that as training camp goes on, that one won't materialize. Uh, can you read too much in a rookie tournaments? We just watched Dylan Holloway. I mean, I've been at every one of those tournaments in Penticton. Granted, Holloway's 20, you know, Hall, Nugent Hopkins, uh, Drysaddle, McDavid played one game, tough to judge him. Paul Yarvey, like those guys are all high-end picks, but they were 18 when they were there. But I don't think anybody dominated the way Holloway dominated this past turn. I, I'm here to tell you, Frank, what I saw there, and I and I preface this by saying I had players reach out to me over the last couple of weeks before the tournament started saying, this guy looks really good. I think we're talking about a guy that, is a potential top nine forward for the order by by the end of the year. Can you read too much, though, in a rookie tournament? Because there's lots of those tournaments going on right now. I think you can. Uh, I think teams get overly excited, and really your top picks, and especially for someone like Holloway, um, you know, where there is some expectation, like, you know, you want them to be your best players, and he was. So mission accomplished. Um but it's a totally different mindset, totally different game when, you know, you begin to see the top-notch NHLers turn it up a bit. And so that's going to be the real test. I was a little bit surprised as the playoffs went on last year that given where he was at in his development, that Holloway wasn't relied on a little bit more in terms of, um, you know, cracking that Oilers lineup. I felt like he could have been a guy that would have given them a shot in the arm. And now he has the ability to hit the ground running here as camp opens, use that rookie tournament as a launch thing, launching pad and and use that to jumpstart your season. We're joined right now by Frank Cervalli from Daily Faceoff. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you on Oilers Now. You're in Philadelphia. The Flyers have made some news What's the latest uh, on best-case scenarios for Sean Couturier and Ryan Ellis? It's tough news for the Flyers. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Sean Couturier has a herniated disc in his back. Um, They're hoping, wishing, praying that their best forward in Couturier will 
in six to eight weeks, his back and the disc will heal itself and he won't need surgery. It feels like a long shot at this point, uh, you know, not privy to the medical details, but just based on the way things have gone for the Flyers in general, it feels like a hope. Um, and if he needs surgery, he's going to be out for a significant chunk of time. When it comes to Ryan Ellis, there's no news. And I don't know, honestly, even how much they're counting on him at this point because they're not expected as the team goes through medicals later this week to announce that Ellis has made any progress. I'm told he's not nearly ready to start the season and not particularly close. And on top of that, they don't have any sort of timeline as to when he might be available to their team. So Ellis was such a big part of, you know, Chuck Fletcher's, you know, changes that he made to this roster a year ago that to only play four games in a Flyers uniform and have five years remaining on your contract at a pretty hefty number has put the Flyers in a pretty tough spot. They tried to replace a little bit of it by uh, adding Tony D'Angelo in the offseason, coming off of another 50-plus point season on the back end for the Carolina Hurricanes. But it's difficult when you're banking on a player like that to come in and and he doesn't fulfill uh, what you're looking for. And now the Flyers, if they're missing Couturier, you're relying pretty heavily on Kevin Hayes, James Van Riemsdyk, Cam Atkinson to really be difference makers for your team that – I've seen a lot of people pick already in the very bottom of the Metropolitan Division. All right. Uh, that's, we're actually going to circle back to Canada and talk about two different teams. And we're going to start with the offseason that was in Calgary and Brad Trilliving because the Flames punched back. I mean, and you know we've discussed this privately over the years, Frank. Like, my philosophy is you got to fish where the fishing's good. And... The Oilers had a couple of American players in Bill Guerin and Doug Waite that did not want to leave, but the Oilers, long before we had a salary cap, weren't in a position to pay those guys what they were worth, so they ended up leaving. Conversely, Calgary lost Adam Fox, ultimately Johnny Goodrow and Matthew Kachuk. But Brad Treleving didn't cower, did he? He swung back. He did, and I don't know if I would make the argument, but you could make the argument that the Flames are a better team now than they were previously. I wouldn't because I think Matthew Kachuk, even though he didn't look so great in the Battle of Alberta, I think he's a franchise player. I'm working on a project right now, actually, on Daily Faceoff, where I'm putting the players in different buckets based on archetype. And when you look at Kachuk, I have him as a franchise player, one of only 17 in the league. They lost him. And he's a tough guy to replace just because he's such a unicorn with his size and his ability, um, and also his productivity. So he's a tough one, but Huberto, you could make the argument, is every good, every bit as good of a distributor as Johnny Gaudreau is, and perhaps maybe even better suited for the long term um, in terms of his size, uh, et cetera. The Nazem Kadri signing, he, for the moment, at least for this upcoming season, is going to be their highest paid forward. They find a way to keep Andrew Mangiapane, um, I, I really like Calgary's back end and, and sort of the thought process emanating from um, Calgary since these moves have been made is not only is this team potentially just as good, but maybe better suited for the playoffs. And that's really what matters. I think the biggest win in all of this is shared not just in Calgary, but also in Edmonton, because what Brad Living did is, basically kept the Battle of Alberta alive, which 
um, for everyone that's enjoyed it these last few years, like we were kind of thinking it might have gone away once those two guys left. Yeah, and there's no question about it. We're stoked for it. We're joined by Frank Saravalli. Frank, all right, so that's Calgary. It's interesting. There's no question the tree swung back. I'm watching Winnipeg with a lot of interest here. Um, you know, the, the word finally came out on Blake Wheeler. Uh Shifley's got a couple years left in his deal. I sense from some people around that organization that maybe he's not quite the same guy he was three or four years ago. There's the, you know, PL uh, Dubois, uh, you know, sort of discussion point. Does he want to stay in Winnipeg? And then Halibut's up in a couple years. Is it possible maybe Winnipeg charts a different direction here? Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that they did it this summer. Like, I thought that it would really be a summer of change for Winnipeg, a team with a ton of expectations, with a core that was in win-now mode, with a defense that was finally improved. And, like, uh, we just talked about, I, I picked them to win the Cup, and they don't make the playoffs. Like, that's how big of a disappointment it was in Winnipeg. And then to see that they go through this entire summer and basically the only real change that they've made is bringing in a new coach and Rick bonus. I had him on my podcast yesterday. Um, he's energized. He thinks this team can bounce back in short order. I'm, I need proof. I need evidence um, because these guys are all one year older and Kyle Connor is a special player. And I think Nikolai Ehlers is, and to see those guys potentially have more real estate and opportunity to grab the bull by the horns and produce more is exciting. But what are you getting from Blake Wheeler? What are you getting from Mark Shifley? Does Pierre-Luc Dubois remain there after this year as his contracts up? Um, I, I just think there's so many question marks for this team that, it feels kind of like an all-or-nothing season in that they're either going to be really good or really bad, and I don't know if I see much in between in terms of how this all works out. Frank, is Chicago the odds-on favorite to finish dead last in the league? Probably. I mean... Is that the plan there? There's going to be some other teams that are close. I think like Arizona is going to be right there, and honestly, with the Flyers' injuries, I don't know that they're going to be all that far off. Okay, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Patrick Kane, what can you tell us on that front? So Patrick Kane is, he understands what's happening there. He's, you know, has been on board with the Blackhawks and, and they're, they've been in communication with his camp and Kyle Davidson. Uh, there has been no shortage of teams that have expressed interest to the Blackhawks uh, that they'd like to try and get their hands on Patrick Kane. I think the Oilers are one of those teams and Toronto Maple Leafs are another. There's a whole group of teams, the New York Rangers, that would love to be in there if he moves, and I think it's likely that he moves, but I think it's something that's going to wait until closer to trade deadline. He's let them know that he's having that full no-move and no-trade clause. He's not interested in going anywhere in the short term. His family is all living in Chicago. His family's super close to everything that he does. His dad probably goes to 70 games a year, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. And they're settled in in Chicago, so his message to the Blackhawks was, if we're going to do this, please give me some time and let's do it later in the season. And so TBD, um, I would still say he's more likely to move at this point than not. 
But I also think there's a possibility with a guy who's 33 and probably will play until he's 40, um, and I think could be a really productive player in, his, in a, that late in his career, given the way that he plays and, and how effortless his skating is, um, that he could play that long and maybe see this rebuild through to the other side as someone that wants to be a Blackhawk for life. So I don't think you can potentially rule that out just yet, but that's sort of where I'd handicap it at the moment. Frank, we got three more quick hitters for you. Well, they might not turn out to be quick hitters. Uh, there was there was some discourse out there uh, when Brad Holland was promoted in the Oilers organization to assistant GM. Some people thought, oh, nepotism higher. Now, it has general, generally speaking been met with a fair amount of positive perspective from the majority of the listeners and a lot of people out there in the Twitterverse. What's your take? I am fully on board with it. I think when you look at Brad Holland and the way that he's charted his career, actually first starting um, as a writer at NHL.com, that's when I first crossed paths with them, um, to then becoming a lawyer and also working for the Toronto Maple Leafs under Lou Lamorello and all the different experiences that he's had, I think he's probably in some ways wanted to fight back against the idea of being a nepotism hire that, um, when you look at, you know, no one wants to have that sort of label attached to them. But I think the job that he's done in, in Edmonton, he's made himself indispensable. He's, I think, working behind the scenes to help um, push the envelope in terms of where this team is heading technologically-wise and analytics-wise um, to help modernize what's going on in the front office. Um, I think he's up-to-date and, and, and leading the charge on that front. And I think he's also gained the respect of other peers and and people in front offices around the league uh, with the relationships that he's made and has had opportunities to go elsewhere, including one um, this summer where he was offered a position in another front office and the Oilers stepped up to keep him. So I think he's a critical piece and critical part of what the Oilers are doing on a day-to-day basis and also for the next five years. Um, which is really significant. And I I think he's earned every opportunity that he's gotten. And I say that knowing that I've been critical of other organizations and the way that they've handled hiring family members. The Seattle Kraken, if you look at their uh, front office structure, like they've they've really made some, some decisions that I scratch my head at. Um, in terms of bringing people in that are related to Ron Francis or Eddie Olchick or, or uh, you know, go through the list. There's other teams that have been guilty. The Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, go down the list. There's lots of them. I don't think this falls in that same category. All right. Uh, yesterday, the Edmonton Oilers uh, announced that uh, Jake Vertanen would come in on a PTO. It was met with a, to say the least, a fair amount of uh, skepticism from a lot of uh, uh, people out there, what's your take? This is a tough one for me, um, and I think this is something that I've wrestled with for a while now, understanding that you would probably get another opportunity in the league. I have a daughter. Bob, you have a daughter. I think we all look at things a little bit differently and try and view them through our own prism and 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 where we come from, our way of life. Um and here's, I think, ultimately where I've come to it. And it's certainly not defending the Oilers in any way. Um, Gaper Tannen has gone through the process. He had his day in court. 
he was judged by a jury of his peers and he was found to be not guilty. And I don't think anyone should confuse the idea of not guilty with being innocent. It doesn't mean that nothing happened. What it means is that he went through the process from start to finish. And at this point, there's no further process to continue. And he has the right to earn a living. We may not like it. We may may leave you feeling yucky and, and greasy. But he deserves and has an ability to earn a living. The question I have for the Oilers is, why is this the guy? I personally, having watched Jake Bertan and, and his career, someone that at, you know when he was first picked and, and obviously with high expectations, um, he's just he's never been able to really put it all together at the NHL level. He wasn't productive in the KHL. And to me, there's a huge hockey IQ disconnect. Like everyone loves the idea of having a power forward, someone with size and and brawn, but he doesn't have the, the, the hockey IQ to really be an impact player in this league. This is my opinion only. So is signing Jake Vertanen, given all that's happened, worth the squeeze? My answer to that would be no. But I understand where they're at, and I understand that at some point somewhere, Jake Vertanen's going to get an opportunity, and I think we all have to wrap our head around it that he has the right to earn a living. Yeah, uh, not guilty uh, in the court of law on the criminal charge. uh, Civil matter um, still uh, to be decided, and as many of you know, a large percentage, I think it's 85 to 90% of all civil uh, matters get settled before they ever go to court. Final one for you, Frank, easiest one. I'm confused. Saravalli or Saravalli? What do you want on the show? It's so weird because I literally just did Toronto radio and they asked me the same exact thing. It's exactly like it's spelled. Saravalli. Think tennis. Serve and volley. All right. Frank Saravalli. Saravalli joining us. Frank, let's do this again. Thank you for taking time to join us here in Oilers Now. Talk to you next Tuesday. You bet. That's uh, Frank Saravalli. It is 1258 in Edmonton. Man, we blew right through. You know what? We wanted to give you the full Frank experience. We'll make up of some of the commercial inventory in the next hour. Off to a global news weather traffic update. Eileen Bell.